Welcome to the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, helping you conquer the chaos in your life. Your host is licensed marriage and family therapist, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Dr. Colleen has been doing what she does for almost two decades. She's a private practice owner, a chaostician, a magazine columnist, a best-selling author, and her work or writing has been featured on countless websites including Fortune, Martha Stewart Weddings, Psych Central, The New York Post, Success, and many more. Listen in as she brings you experts in the psychology of life. They may be New York Times bestsellers, key players in their profession, or people who have overcome tremendous obstacles in life and are here to share their story to help you live your best life. Let's get to it. Stay tuned for our next chaos-crushing guest. Here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Hi, and thanks for coming back. This is Dr. Colleen, and I am about to tell the story of my three and a half week cross country journey after losing my mother and about to embark on taking care of my disabled sister. And I'm going to tell the story with the help of my friend and fellow podcaster, Jason Parsons. Now, this episode is a little long, but it was an almost month long journey. So, You'll hear about the different cities across the country that I visited, hear about some of the mishaps along the way, and some of my reflections through this very chaotic time of my life. And the next episode tells the story of my first year of my life with my 46-year-old sister who I am now taking care of and we've had quite an adventure of advocacy and self-learning and Suzanne joins me on the next episode and then after that we get right back into what you always know from me and coaching through chaos some great interviews lots of helpful information lots of great experts to help you conquer the chaos in your life so we're going to get into the conversation with Jason. Thanks for coming along. Jason, thanks for joining me for this part of my journey as we talk about getting across the country to my new life. Well, I'm happy to be here for this part, but I would rather have gone on the road trip with you. Yeah, you know, that's <laughs> funny you say that. I actually had a couple of offers and nobody came through. I should have hit you up. but Really? You, yes. But you have five kids, so you probably wouldn't have joined me yeah. either. <laughs> it would have been like, I'd have been like, yeah, I can do two days. Yeah, that's what I got. I got a bunch of people going, oh, I'll meet you in this city. I'll meet you in that city. And yeah. really, you know, there was people ha apparently had lots of other things to do. So it was me and the people I visited and which was cool because I did visit a lot of people. Well, a month across America in July is uh, a crazy thing for you to do, let alone to like try and drag someone else across country with you. Unless it's like uh you know, like uh, a significant other. Well, and that's the thing. I didn't even bring my sister who I was bringing her stuff. And that was the whole premise of the trip was just to get her stuff across the country in this older little SUV. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like you, you pack up this car yes. and you're like, ah, you know, I'm taking my time getting home. So I remember you were going to miss, you missed podcast movement to do all of this. Right. I and did. So, so you, you are, you're, you're going to get in a car from New York and head westbound to San Diego. And you have 
I mean, you're filled. It looks like you look like a college kid who's coming home from school. I right? totally this is what I imagine. did. I imagine like you couldn't jam a piece of paper into this car somewhere, right? Nothing. I had crates. I had blankets. I had a 55 inch TV behind the, the, the front seats because I was like, well, if I'm taking her stuff, I'm taking the big TV too. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> I figured if it made it across the country, I'll probably be good for a few years with it. But um, yeah, I was filled to the rim. I had a friend come over to my mom's house and help me pack up the things and kind of just go through my sister's life because my sister was in the nursing home still. And yeah. we just kind of said, well, what do I think she'll need? So we certainly, we left behind all of her winter clothes because it's San Diego. And right. I took the clothes that I thought that would fit her and still wear. And then I looked through, she had, um, I mentioned in the first part of the episode that she was getting um, confused about like, could she bring her porcelain dolls? Cause she had a collection of over a hundred of those. So oh, we had right. two crates of porcelain dolls. Um, her little NASCAR. How many, how many of them survived? Like when you got, when you got to California, you opened the crate, you got the crowbar, you know, it looks like a museum artifact, right? And you pry this thing open. And, you, you know, one of 50 has survived. I think I think we have a good probably 30 of them came with us. And I, okay. oh, and I remember now she had a um, she had a uh, like a day that I could take her from the nursing home because she was starting to walk better and things like that. So we purposefully went to the house and she couldn't get in the house because there were stairs, but I could get her into the drive up garage and uh -huh. I remember sitting her on the chair and they'd already packed up because they were planning on moving. So she had the crates already packed of the dolls. And I said, okay, Suze, like we are going to sift through the ones that you absolutely want to have. Like we have to leave yeah. behind some of the troops here, you know? And so, <laughs> so she did that. So yeah, so I would pull up to these different cities. There were times where I had people's houses to stay at. So it wasn't a worry, but there were other times where I was rolling up to major hotels and like giving the, the security guard in the parking lot 20 bucks so that I could leave the, this old SUV next to the security guard post and have him keep his eye on it. And I would tell everyone, I would say, you know, of those, those guys I was having watch it. So they didn't think like, what's this homeless woman doing pulling up to the West and, you know, <laughs> I was like, I'm moving a disabled person stuff across the country. Like I'm doing somebody a favor. Could you please just like, keep it safe for me? It's the only reason I'm packed like this. And well, people were so nice. You so you look like the Clampets moving west, and it's just you. Yeah. Uh, like I, this looks like a cartoon, right? Right. Like you, the, the windows got shit rolling out of it. You got probably like I picture like a, a rocking chair on top of the car. <laughs> and you know, you've got stuff netted to the ceiling, and here you are. You're on the highway, and in in July. Now yes. we're gonna we're gonna get to. I, I read this this. Uh, you've got a breakdown here. And I, I can't wait to the, the the back half of this where we get to uh, some of the, you know, you you had a you had an issue with the car in in yes. July heat. Let's just let's keep that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, as because not all of this trip is uh, is worry and carefree. Oh well, you know, and the premise of it certainly wasn't. And of course, my mother had died a week before I left. So right, um, yeah. yeah. Like, what was your mindset? Because I mean, I, I know there was a part of you that wanted to. Uh, for this trip to be, you know, just kind of for you, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, and, you, and you wanted to collect your thoughts and everything, but I'm sure you were like, nobody wants to cross country for, you decided to go for almost a month. So you wanted to have some fun. I wanted to get a break. I yeah. was in my private practice in California. I left that and kept working and doing sessions. And I was working all the way across the country. I'd wander parks and talk to my clients. Um, but I wanted a break. I'd done two months of all of the chaos of my mother dying and being in New York and right. staying on the couch at my brother's house and visiting my sister and my mother every day. And my life was going to forever be different. And it absolutely is. And I love it. But I mean, my life changed and taking my sister in and I knew it was going to forever change. So I thought, well, what kind of time do I have? So I have I had a brother that was living in San Diego. He was in the Navy and he had orders to leave around August 1st to go to Washington, D.C. with his family for the new three year order with the Navy. Okay. And so he took Susie and said, well, I can keep her until July 28th or 29th. And so I said, okay, great. She'll be at your house and then I'll take her. So I had that time to go. And so I right. just thought, I'm just going to stretch it out. I had the means to do it. My practice was still going. My bills at home were being paid. And I thought I'm never going to get a chance to just be on my own again without having to think about caring about somebody else. And I had done a lot of that in the last two months and knew that that was going to be my future. So I wanted to prep myself (laughs) and, and uh, get some head clearing time and kind of absorb the fact that like, I also, I mean, I talk in the first episode about my, I look at it as my sister's mother died by me, but the reality was I just lost my other parent and we now were parentless and it was going right. to be on me to make sure she had a good life. Yeah, because now you became a parent. Essentially, yes. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into this. So July 4th, you don't even stick around for fireworks. Well, I wanted to go to D.C. for that. And okay. <laughs> so I had great cousins, um, and that was my first stop, Was essentially was uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. I had a, uh, a cousin who I'm very close to, uh, stayed at her home. She said, we're going to go. They were leaving out of the country for uh, a week, like two days later. So I said, well, great. I'll come down on July 4th, be with you all for um, that. And then they were going to leave town. And she said, why don't you just stick around and relax here by yourself? She knows I love DC. She knew I had other cousins and other friends in the area. So to have that generous offer to just have this home where I could just relax and, and decompress for a few days was amazing. So I did that. So I left, um, one cousin's house in New York on the morning of July 4th. And I ended up down in D in silver spring around, I don't know, like one o'clock in the afternoon. And had about 48 hours with those cousins before they left and was really grateful at that point that I had maintained some relationships with my cousins because, you know, in families, there are people who keep a lot of those connections going. And it, it was about 10 years ago after my father's passing that all of the cousins kind of got back together and back in touch and have stayed in touch through Facebook and Instagram and things. And so I had kept the bond going with my cousins and was very grateful to have that at the time. And so you didn't, you didn't have like any itinerary or anything, right? Like you, I mean, you knew you had to be home by a certain date. So you just kind of like played it by ear, right? You're like, well, your cousin said, let's go ahead and keep the house, stay for a few days. We're going to be gone. And you're like, oh, okay, let me, and you said you love DC. Yes. So you decided just to explore. 
I, I did. And here, that's a good question. What I did is um, I would plan ahead a few days at a time. So I mapped out every few days kind of where I wanted to be. So I would book about okay. like one room every three days in a different city. And once okay. I knew that I was going to need to stay at places, but in DC though, I stayed, I let my cousin's vacation dictate how long I stayed there. They were gone for eight days. I stayed for seven because I figured, let me oh. clean the house up <laughs> and leave and get on to the next one. So, but while there I was go. there, I saw cousins in Annapolis that I grew up with on Long Island. And then I even met up with a podcasting buddy that I met at Podcast Movement, who is now blowing up in his podcast. That's Ben Ham oh. of the uh, Secret Room podcast. So, okay. so we had dinner one night and, but I just love the museums and love wandering the Smithsonian. So anybody out there, like if you haven't been to DC and you like artwork and a big city, I mean, just, you can't beat the Smithsonian and the park and everything. And so I actually wandered in uh, to one of my favorite museums is the Renwick. And when I was there, there was a Burning Man exhibit, which I'd been to Burning Man years ago. And it was just fun to kind of remember that. What is, what is Burning Man exactly? Do you really not know what Burning Man is? It's I want you to tell the audience. You gotta, you gotta remember it. They might not know. <laughs> Burning Man is this amazing art. I think of it as just one great big cultural art installation in the desert in Nevada. I actually did love it. I do want to go back, but you know, life gets in the way. And um, so walking into that museum when you're there the temple is this big spiritual happening for you if you can get yourself into it and when I went I had actually just lost my brother and my father the year that I went and it had some meaning for me and then now kind of walking into this and the room that was set up as the the temple from one of the exhibits was really touching for me to also be there at the time when I'm mourning then the loss of my mother and contemplating this new stage of my life. So that was a really cool little experience. It's almost like a sign. You, you lose some family and yes. you experience that Bernie man and then you go into this museum and there it is again yes. after you just lose your mother. So there's got to be a lot of strong feelings all of a sudden. There, there was... And when you talk about signs, you know, people are going to listen and have all different ideas about that. But a side story is the only random person who became like a friend through this trip was a girl that I met in in Nashville. And her name is Joyce. And my mother's name is Joyce. I've never met anybody else with the name Joyce. And this one random really? woman that I ended up chatting with at the hotel and we hung out and shot the breeze for a night. Her name was Joyce. And we've remained at least peripheral friends through social media. So it's really, yeah. you know, you talk about signs. I don't know. But to me, it was kind of cool. <laughs> that, that is cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm down in DC for a while, have a good time, reconnect with people, my family. And then I leave for uh, Greensboro where I go to visit my, I call him my deadhead hippie cousin, Mike, who I had not. What is is the deadhead hippie cousin? Is that, is that, do you mean like the grateful dead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's a total deadhead. And, um, he, of course, when I was young, him being older than me felt so much older now that we're 
old, it's really not that different. And so I go down there. We, again, had also reconnected through social media, but I don't think I'd actually seen him since I was 12. And so he came out for lunch. And also, I mean, it's funny how social media is. There was another peripheral friend, a woman uh, on Facebook that was connected to some other mutual friends. And she came out and had lunch with myself and my cousin. It was super cool to meet her in person. And, uh, but then I was leaving. You know, so many people, it's not even funny. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Like I've been around you before. Like you make (laughs) friends, like I I, want to make friends like you. Although they say like the brain only has enough capacity to like store so many names. Like you really need social media to computer. So that way you're like, oh yeah, that's George. (laughs) That is correct. You know, the name might not come to you right away, but I will remember something about you. But that's how we became friends. We met on Twitter and podcasting and then met up in podcast movement in Chicago. And here we are four years later. So Yeah. yeah, so you're one of my oldest podcasting buddies. And you remember my name. Thank you. You know, it's unforgettable, but um, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, so here's what happens. So I go to have lunch with Mike and it's just supposed to be lunch, like an hour. And then I'm Uh supposed to be on the road to Asheville to another cousin who I know a little bit better. And and then I leave. How many cousins do you have? You know, I'm from an Irish Catholic family from Pennsylvania, you know, originally, like we have a lot of cousins. (laughs) I have I have 23 and most of us are in Grand Rapids, the city that I'm in. I'm going to say that I'm up around 30 or 40, but it is also a couple of generations now. Like my, my family had the middle set of kids. So there are cousins that are 10 years and stuff older than me. Okay. And their kids are now 15 to 20 years younger than me, but they're certainly adults now. So now I'm connected right. to all of them. So Okay. It is this fun little network of family. But here's what happened, though. Like you think I was just talking about social media. So I'm driving. I'm just about to drive out of town. And I go, oh, my God, I didn't take a picture with Mike. So I call him up and I'm like, I'm like, Mike, I'm like, how close is your office? Like, I got to come back and take a picture. Like, I can't do this Mm -hmm. and and be here in person with you and not have this like saved for us. So he's like, he's like, I'm five minutes away. Just come over. So I do. And then we're talking. He's like, what are you doing anyway? And I'm like, well, I'm just heading up to Bennett's in Asheville and I'm going to hang out with them for two nights. He's like, you know what? He's like, just come and stay with me at my house. My girlfriend's going to be around. You'll meet my son and everything. He's like, we'll go out. We'll have a good time. And I was like, hmm. I'd already been driving for a few hours. Yeah. I was like, that sounds pretty good. I'm like, I don't think Bennett's going to care. So I text them. I say, hey, I'm going to stay at Cousin Mike's. They're all super close because they live in, down that way in, in the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. So they didn't care. So I end up then having this great connection with Mike and his girlfriend. We go out for the night and then his teenage son is around the next morning, I think. And then I literally got up and packed my bags and drove off to Asheville, uh, North okay. Carolina. To my cousin Bennett, who I got to know as an adult, but his father is actually my first cousin and his parents now live down that way also. So, and I've had experience with Bennett's been in San Diego and lived here for a little while. So I, he and I are probably closest out of most of my cousins. So I go to Asheville, spend the night there. That's fun. Um, But When I was in D.C., I also went to Annapolis, which I had lived in when I was like 18 for a little bit. But I met up with another podcasting friend uh, who I had met years ago at Podcast Movement, who's another therapist. So Laura Reagan of uh, Therapy Chat Podcast. We had lunch and a little hug. We've met up um, over the years at different events. 
but I was going to say these cities, you know, had farmers markets and I go to the farmers markets here in, in San Diego. And I was trying to do a little comparison of like, are, is it different to be in some country town on the other side of the country? And, you know, it's not all that different. (laughs) And so, (laughs) um, so, so Asheville was nice. Um, I went, around and saw now, where is where's Asheville at like in relation to like Memphis or Chattanooga good so I went from DC to Greensboro which was I think three hours or four hours and then Greensboro to Asheville is about three hours if I remember correctly so then from Asheville, I went to Nashville, and that, I think, was 10 or 11 hours. And that's where my trip, okay. that's when once I left all these cousins in the Carolinas, yeah. then I was on my own for the rest of the trip. I had a friend in Dallas I was going to see, and it turned out I had a friend in New Mexico and Albuquerque. So I wasn't alone, but I hadn't planned on seeing these people, but... But I was staying in hotels after that. So the first week okay. and a half, I was staying in family homes. Yeah. And then I departed from like what should have been like straight across the country because I wanted to see these other cities. I wanted to see Nashville. I wanted to see Memphis. I wanted to see New Orleans and had never been to them before. So I thought, well, I'm just going to go do it. So I went to Nashville and I'm not really a country music fan, but I wanted to go. I wanted to see what it was all about. And what it's turned out to be is that I probably should have gotten some insider information because I went to the main strip and Uh it was fun. I went to, there's bar after bar of cover bands along the strip in Nashville. And you can listen to cover bands and buy cowboy boots and drink beer. Isn't that, isn't that how, um, who's the woman, something, was it something Wilson or she was friends with the big and rich guys. And then isn't that how they all started? They were just like, uh, cover bands and bars or whatever. Cause like everyone in Nashville knows everybody and everyone's got a record label. And so, so you're just hanging out on the strip listening to maybe someone who's going to become a famous country singer in a couple of years. Yes. And I did take that in. Part of my motivation of doing this trip, besides getting my own headspace, was like if I was going to do this and travel alone, I wanted to have the experience of the cities. I didn't want to get to Nashville and then get all self-conscious about going out alone and sit in my hotel room. So I made yeah. a point to take myself out every night and to eat in the restaurants and to do things. And I had really never done that before. You know, you I never dated yourself. Not in a fancy restaurant, no. I've done like most people and had lunch occasionally or, um, you know, breakfast out. But I hadn't taken myself purposefully out to dinner at places that I wanted to eat and or taken myself out to a bar. Do you notice because like you're a little um, uh, like apprehensive, right? Like you're like, ah, I don't know if I want because you you think you're going to be judged or whatever because you're by yourself. So you sit in these restaurants. Do you notice like because uh, you have a different perspective all of a sudden? Are there all of a sudden you're like, oh, there's another person who's by themselves. And then, you know, does your view be it's like it's like when you buy a car, right? You never seen that car before on the highway. And then all of a sudden you see every five minutes you're seeing the same damn car you just bought. Yes, there is some of that. That wasn't the primary thing for me. The primary thing for me was like, why didn't I do this before? 
and security. Well, yeah, just, yeah, I suppose just like a lot of people and, uh, you know, I've taken myself to movies before and stuff, but to be a tourist and say, oh, I'm just visiting by myself. I'd like to get a good table. I heard this was a great restaurant and to sit there right, okay. and, you know, have my, have a glass of wine and a good meal was really unusual for me, but I really enjoyed it. And I would encourage people, if you're going to do this, do it where you can really embrace the experience. Now, did you, did you enjoy the wine and the good meal? And the the scenery, and did you take it all in, or were you on your iPhone checking in on Twitter and everything else and planning your trip? You know, it, it all depended on the setting, right? Okay. It all depends yeah. on the setting. There were definitely times where when it was easier to sit at the bar so that I could have other people to chit-chat with and stuff, I would. In New Orleans, I purposefully sat in tables where I could like see the people going by because, you know, people watching is a great thing. And, you know, and you can get lost in that or at least I can. So I did a lot of that. But what happened was, is that I went to Nashville and I had this experience in Nashville where like on one side, and this is how a lot of tourist cities are, I'm finding, is that, you know, you have this, the all the bars, all the places where everybody goes and all the foot traffic. And then you have the most, the most horrible poverty, uh, like three blocks over. Yes. Yes. I, I had to, I had to do laundry in Nashville. And I remember like a little kid begging for some change from me at the laundromat and the windows knocked out of the house next door to the laundromat. And I was like, where did I, how did I get here? I was just at the, the, hotel up the block. So, so that left like a bad taste in my mouth. And I know it's kind of jaded, like that most cities are like that. I mean, we even have that here in San Diego, but, and of course we have it in New York where I'm from, but it just was one of these things where if I was going to participate as a, uh, as a tourist, it just kind of irked me in that moment. And maybe just because of what all the other emotional stuff I was going through. So I, I, didn't stay longer than I needed to there. So I left there on the second day, I think. And I went to Memphis and I remember not booking out a definite room in, in the middle nights between Memphis and Nashville. Cause I wasn't sure if I was going to like Nashville or not. So I went to Memphis and oh my gosh, I loved Memphis. I would. And you didn't expect to, right? No, I wasn't really even that big of a fan of like Elvis. Of course, I grew up, my mom was a big fan and stuff, but I stayed at a hotel that was relatively new. I think it only opened like a year ago, this four-star resort called the the Guest House at Graceland. And it's right across Mm. the street, practically from Graceland. It was so nice. And they had top-notch entertainment, you know, musicians there in the bar area at night. I could have stayed there for a month. Like, I wish I had known. It was probably... It was probably all Elvis fans. There, Yeah, of course. There was a lot of that. And they were even filming. I yeah. remember. So it was July. And you walk into the lobby of this nice hotel. And there's this humongous, humongous Christmas tree. And I'm like, am I in like the twilight zone? Like, what happened? <laughs> like, where am I? What's happening? And I'm like, did I like step into like, you know, somewhere else? Right. And they said, oh, no, we're filming some, I think it some TV movie. Like so, a Hallmark movie? Yes, a Hallmark movie, literally. And okay. so, um, so it was set up for Christmas. So it was beautiful and it was fun because, I mean, you drive up and even the dr- drive up to the whole grand entrance has the, <laughs> these Christmas wreaths and lights, but it's literally like July 15th. And it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> 
What's they take happening? Christmas to July seriously around here, don't they? They do. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so I did the whole um, Graceland tour, and that was where, like, I really just kind of got fascinated with. Elvis in that time because you go in and the rooms are exactly as as they left them and you just can imagine who was in there what they were doing and the music that they made it was just incredible and it was also decorated um, over the top what does the tour cost to go through Elvis's house to go through Graceland what's that cost I'm thinking like $30 or something like not a lot how large is the group of people? Because, Like the size of the group? Because you just walk down the hallways of the rooms and look into the rooms or they actually let you kind of go in and they've only got a little section cordoned off and then you look at the rest. So you probably only fit about, what, 10, 12 people on the tour? There's probably, I'll say, 50 people walking through the house at any given moment. They take you in bus loads um, from okay. like the main entrance over to the main house and then they t- do a tour guide around if i remember correctly they have those kind of things that you can listen to the tours and um, okay. and yes you are like literally like stopping and looking into a room you're not going into the jungle room and sitting on the furry couch but it is super cool to see <laughs> is it gaudy is the house oh, gaudy yeah, yeah totally yeah. gaudy and there's fabric there's a pool table room and there's this like crazy fabric all bunched up like tent like hanging from the ceiling there's fabric on mm. the walls everything and then the yeah. jungle room has carpeted like green carpeted ceilings like like the jungle would have wow. trees i mean it was it was outrageous and then there's this whole like white room that looks like you know 1970s where he might have done his cocaine and stuff i mean it was <laughs> it was pretty crazy um so i i loved seeing it kept exactly as it was and I wouldn't mm-hmm. know if it was any different, but it was a really cool experience. <laughs> right. Of course, then they have the Elvis Museum. You know, the funniest thing about that was that the size of his clothes. And I noticed this when I was at like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame years ago or the museum years ago also is that the size of the performers are so tiny. His waist looked like it must have been 20 inches around. I mean, it was teeny tiny. Yeah. Oh, but then, of course, he did get bigger over the years. So you see the gradual change of the size of the costumes. Yeah. But they're all like encased in glass and lit up. I mean, it was really kind of spectacular if you were were a diehard Elvis fan. Did the kitchen smell like peanut butter and banana fried sandwiches? Thank goodness, no. <laughs> <laughs> Did you try one? Did they, I, I'd imagine they probably have them at the hotel or like everywhere around there. It's probably like a staple, right? They did. I just, I actually don't actually eat bananas, but I did eat barbecue oh. at Elvis's restaurant, you know, on the on the grounds okay. there. So that was good. <laughs> okay. And, um, and then at night I went to Beale Street, which is again, like the strip, like in Nashville. And I went to BB King's and I um, watched a band. Called say, that's that's known for more jazz, right? Blues. Is Beale yeah. Street blues, blues. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So I watched a, a I think the guy's name is Memphis Jones, and uh, or the band is. They were good. I had dinner there, and then I started walking down the strip to go in and out of other bars. Like they had piano bars, they had all sorts of stuff, and it was it was funny, you know, on this woman walking around at. It was only like 10 o'clock at night. And I remember a couple of the, the doormen were like, well, where's your friends? Like, like as if I had wandered, had wandered off by myself and like left them. <laughs> right, like, right. 
Like, there's no friends. It's just me. They're like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. And like, it wasn't like I was walking around even tipsy because I was trying, you know, I had to make sure I stayed safe. So it wasn't even like I was like, oh, hey, (laughs) you know, Um, it was just probably unusual for them to see somebody walking around as a tourist by themselves. That's what I was going to say, because it's touristy. There's probably groups of people all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. In the end, I did. I did head back to my hotel both nights around like 11 o'clock because they're really because it was touristy it really did die down pretty quickly it was a week weeknights that i was there okay so that was memphis oh and while i was in memphis because this leads into a story in new orleans while i was in memphis you know and while i was there i was you know and the whole time i was gone i was trying to take care of myself so i'd get out and exercise and i had taken a bus somewhere on one of the tours and i saw the mississippi I guess it's the Mississippi River over there. And somebody was running. And I thought, well, that looks nice. Like, I'm going to go for a jog along the Mississippi River. There you go. Yeah. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon in 100 degree heat. It was not a good idea. <laughs> but I did it. And I sweat my butt off. And But then I paid for it three days later in New Orleans because I was so dehydrated that I almost well, checked into a hospital. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, so from Memphis, were you not drinking, were you not drinking a lot of water? You just weren't thinking of it, were you? No. And for as much as I was just wandering cities, the days kind of just melted together and, you know, you stay conscious and you're drinking water, but every drink that I drank, I had to buy. So it's not like when you're home or you have your water filter and stuff that you're just drinking endless amounts of water. So I'm like, yeah, sure. I was drinking it, but I wasn't probably drinking gallons of it. And, and I probably self-admittedly never drink enough water. So then when I'm in the heat and it's also humid, you know, so um, it was it was not my smartest move on that trip. But then I went. I was so looking forward to New Orleans. Now, have you ever been there? No, I'd like to go. I'd like to experience it. Yeah, I definitely want to go back. It was not a good place mm-hmm. for me just for where I was in that trip. You weren't really celebratory uh, at that time. Yeah. And so along the way, though, I'm traveling. And of course, I am on the social media. And I see two girlfriends of mine from San Diego posting that they're celebrating their anniversary in New Orleans this that week. And so I was a couple of cities away. And I said, oh, my gosh, are you going to be there like on Wednesday? Because I'm going to be there. And they're saying, yes, we're leaving Thursday. So I said, great, I'll see you. Can we go out? Because I haven't seen anybody from San Diego in months now. (laughs) So, And these are even like, I mean, they're peripheral friends. Like we have mutual friends and I probably see them at holiday parties for the last five, 10 years. Right. Okay. okay. And so they're not like my closest friends, but certainly when we hang out, we have a great time. So I meet up with these two women and we have dinner and then they're like, you know what? (laughs) Like, Ladies, don't trust your friends when they say this. They they said, you haven't had a night where you just got to relax and have some drinks. And so we're going to take care of you. Like, drink up. Here, we're going to buy you some rum punch again. Yeah. Don't do this. So far, so far, I'm on board. These are great friends. Yeah. And I forgot that one of them always gets more tipsy really fast and wants to go oh. home. So they literally <laughs> left me in downtown New Orleans they in the middle of the night. Dumped a bunch of booze you and then left you. They did. They did. Oh. I remember there's a selfie in my phone with, with a cop because I thought he was cute. So I was flirting <laughs> with the cops as I was getting myself back to the hotel. But I did make my way 
back to the hotel. It was super late at night. Um, I was coming off the run on the Mississippi River the day before in the heat. Um, so I go out with the girlfriends in New Orleans. Then the next day, I'm starting to like feel. I didn't realize it was dehydration. I know what was happening, but I I was feeling. Well, I thought that's what it was. Yes. Okay. I'm not going to act so naive. I mean, I thought I was hungover, (laughs) Um, but it was different because I just I don't normally get hungover. And for as much as I had drank, I didn't drink that much. So I was like, well, something doesn't feel right. So. I wanted to see New Orleans, so I did meet up with those girlfriends again for brunch, and then I walked around the um, city, and the city of New Orleans is amazing. Again, if you love art, there was like hundreds of art galleries. I just, I couldn't believe it. I could have spent days wandering there at the art galleries, and, you know, and then I took, um, I took a tour, a haunted a haunted house tour, right? Or a haunted city really? tour. Yeah. yeah. And it was exactly like the tour guide was like exactly who you'd want to show up for this. He was probably okay. like, I don't know, 24, 25 that had hair down to his black hair down to his elbows, black long fingernails, like kind of like has this vampire kind of like look to him, the big okay. Doc Martin boots, all black on. And he's, he's, I think he said he was Creole and was raised there and knew all these amazing stories. He was a great tour guide, great tour guide. But I just remember we were walking around Then it ends at a bar and like people, you know, it was a little social. There's probably 20 people on the tour and we're walking around for two hours on this tour. And I just remember we got to the last place and I thought, oh, thank goodness. Like I want to just get back to my bed. And so I got the nearest car and got back to the hotel. And then Literally the next day, um, you know, everybody goes to New Orleans and you want to eat beignets, right? I don't, what's a beignet? Oh, the little, um, uh, little, they're like donut holes, uh, pastry puff kind of things that are dipped in powdered sugar. And they're famous. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Cafe yeah, yeah, yeah. Du Monde is the place where everybody wants to go and have them. I know what you're talking about. Okay, so... All I ever thought of when I went there was like, I want to listen to music and I want to eat um, beignets. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I was so sick and this is not hungover. This then I recognized as like uh, clinical type of dehydration. And I only recognized it as that because I had done a half marathon and hadn't drank enough water before that and was so uh-huh. horribly sick for hours after it until I kind of like got enough sodium back in my body that it took me about halfway through the day to realize that that's what it was. But I remember that I had shut the air conditioning off in my room. Now, granted, it's 110 degrees and humid outside. I shut the hotel, the air conditioning off in my hotel room. And I remember calling housekeeping and asking them for extra blankets. And the woman comes to the door and she had like six blankets and she goes, you know, you can turn off the air conditioning. And I'm like, I know I did. I said, I'm sick and I'm freezing. Can you just give me the blankets? And, (laughs) and I laid in bed and I ordered very salty food from a restaurant. I ordered like French onion soup and some pizza. Cause I remember you had to get salt, like lots and lots of sodium back in you. So I, I know you felt cold, but it probably wasn't the right treatment to turn the air off I know. <laughs> and cover yourself up with six blankets oh, and, and 100, 
Yeah. Yeah, this is going to work. And then on top of it, I had a Skype meeting with this um, entrepreneur guru guy, I'll say, that we ended up then, um, he did coach me for a little while. I'm going to leave his name out of this. Um, but I had, you know, been trying to meet with him for a while. And he was like, yeah, okay, well, we can meet and do the Skype meeting on Friday. So, like, the only thing I had to do was, like, put clothes on from the waist up and turn on Skype and like look presentable and have this okay. meeting with this guy that essentially was interviewing me to see if he was going to take me on and coach me about something. And I just remember going, Oh God, could I please just get through this? And I put on my best face and he had no idea how sick I was. But the minute we were done, I think I like ran into the bathroom and just died on the floor. I was just like so oh. sick. And, um, <laughs> And so, and all the while, you know, like, so every day I didn't do sessions that day, but I was still like talking and doing Skype or FaceTime with my clients or phone sessions. So I'm still doing about between 12 and 17 therapy sessions a week between Monday and Friday while I'm traveling. You know, what's interesting. I have clients that, um, listen to the podcast and some uh-huh. of them have no idea any of this. Of course they don't cause I'm their therapist. So for right. those listening, they knew I was gone, obviously. And I just said, yeah. something's come up in my family. By the time I got back, probably some of my longer term clients knew that my mother had gone and you know, some of them know that my sister was coming to live with me. But of course, I don't sit there and tell them my story because it's not about me. So if you are listening and you're one of my clients, you know, now you know a little bit more about me. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. And um, I actually took quite a lot of pride in the fact that I was able to still work while I was gone and still manage yeah. that and maintain all of their privacy and pay attention to them and help them still make the shifts that they wanted to make while I was gone and not face to face with them. So I was quite proud of that part of, of the journey, you know? And, um, so anyway, so I get out of, um, New Orleans and then now, really, hold on. When, when we're leaving New Orleans, like had, had you recovered, did you stay an extra day or did you decide like, I've got to keep moving and, uh, you kind of left still dehydrated and cold. Yeah, well, it gets kind of funny. So I had booked myself for three nights in New Orleans because I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to love New Orleans. So let me book three whole nights there because I'd only been doing like stints of like two nights or one night in different places. So I did lose that last Friday to staying in bed and sickness. And so by the time I left on Saturday morning, I couldn't, I, I, I probably felt 60% better. I definitely was not on my A game. I definitely was not looking forward to the 11 hour drive to Dallas, but I, I was going to then have two nights at, at a friend's apartment in Dallas and he was, I would see him, but he was going to go stay at his girlfriend's house. He's like, you can have my apartment to yourself. It'll be comfortable. Okay. So I'm like, okay, well I'll get there. So Of course, the car is all packed up as it is. And, you know, everything that is precious to my sister is in there. And I leave New Orleans again, 109 degrees and humid. And this was foreshadowing from earlier, ladies and gentlemen. That is correct. And about an hour and a half out, all of a sudden the air conditioning seems to stop working. 
So Which is funny. What's ironic, funny, I don't know what it is, but like you shut it off the day before. So someone was like, Ah, she didn't need it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That was in the hotel room though. Right. Yeah. And so I'm driving and I mean, it is rural out there. Like, there's not a lot of anything. So I'm, like, looking to see, like, is there a Cragen Auto Parts around here or something? You know? Oh, and the other thing is the language. So I stopped at a rest stop, you know, gas station, truck stop type of place. And I go in to use the bathroom. And I hear a mother and daughter. Now the daughter's like my age. So the mother's probably in her 60s or 70s or something. And so older, uh, you know, women. And their accents were so strong that I didn't know that they were speaking English, like literally. And I was like, oh, how am I going to even explain or ask what I'm looking for? How are they going to know what Cragen is? You know, is it, you know, I'm just like. Well, it must have been Sunday because nothing was open. And I did find like none of the repair shops were open, you know, because I'd find garages attached to gas stations on these rural roads, but nothing was open. So it must have been Sunday and probably a day off. And, um, and so then I do figure out that there is some auto parts place. So I think I'll just get a can of Freon, right? And someone can help me figure out what to do. Like I'll stand out. And I did, I... I stood outside the auto parts store with the Freon and I just... You tried to solicit somebody to like recharge your air conditioner? Oh, I did. And there were tons of helpful people. There there was a couple of young guys stopped, you know, because they're coming there to shop for something for the car. So I figured they they might know about cars. So I'm like, hey, would you mind helping me out? I'm trying to figure this out. And like by the third person that had stopped, because they were trying it and it wasn't doing anything, the third person was able to go, you know, like you're was it the converter belt i think it's called um was dead uh, serpentine no 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 it was something i think the conver- oh, that would be your battery that'd be everything yeah okay. it's the air conditioner it's the main part of the air conditioning yeah, yeah. that says you need to get a new air conditioner or you need this thing replaced oh, okay. it's not like you can put freon in it and it'll start up again like the fan is broken right so i'm like oh and now i've killed an hour and a half and I had an 11 hour drive, which was then interrupted for an hour and a half. So now I'm looking at like 13 hours and then I'm like, well, what do I do? So I got a, I got a little paralyzed with what do I do? So there was like, I started to drive away, but then there was a McDonald's and I'm like, oh, they're going to have air conditioning and cold soda in there. <laughs> yeah. So I sat in a McDonald's, um, for like 90 minutes sipping on like the largest diet coke i could get my hands on (laughs) debating like what should i do what should i do and like were you thinking do i stay in town for the day and wait till tomorrow morning to get it fixed or do i just make my way to dallas yeah i thought what do i do because it's going to be this hot all the way back and should i get it fixed and um so i thought about but then i was like well i don't know anything about this area let me just get in the car, see how I can tolerate it. Now I'm driving um, a 2001 Honda CRV, so a little okay. SUV, right? Yep. And so, you know, I cranked windows down, down. I cranked down all the windows, and glad nothing flew out of them. That's what I was gonna say. Lost <laughs> 13 porcelain dolls. <laughs> That's right. All these little porcelain doll heads <laughs> yeah. flying out the sides. Oops, sorry, Suze. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> And then, um, 
And so I decide to leave and I say, well, let me see if I can tolerate it. So I get on the road again and, and I, and I do make it to Dallas and cause I figure if I get to Dallas, at least my friend, he knows people, he'll hook me up with a garage. Maybe somebody can help me out. And, uh, so what were you wearing when you left and what were you wearing when you arrived that day? All my clothes stayed on. They probably got rolled up and stuff, but there is the day that I was driving finally back. I ended up in very little clothes when I was driving through Yuma because it was 117 degrees, super hot. And I ended up like just pretty much in my bra and my shorts at some point with my shirt pulled down and I'd pull it up when cars came by. I didn't care. I was just like, this is disgusting. Wait, wait, you were driving, you were driving practically topless. Well, you know, I had one of those, all the women are wearing the stretchy off the shoulder shirts. So I pulled my yeah. arms out of the, out of the thing. Okay. So it was kind of like a tube top. And if okay. I could get away with it, I'd pull it down so that I could just get some air going. And then I'd yeah. pull it up when cars would come by. I mean, what, what did I care at I that point? You could have got the car fixed had you, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because what happened was when I was in Dallas, so my friend was very generous. I had his place for a couple of nights. It's very great to see my good friend Ted, who I know from San Diego, who at some point moved shout to. Out to Ted. That's right. Shout out to Ted. Love you. And, um, you know, he's like, sure, you know, there's garages and whatnot. And, um, you know, they wanted to charge me like, oh, like $1,800. And I'm sure, oh. like I said, I'm traveling across the country. I'm supposed to leave right. tomorrow. Can I get this done? And I'm sure they were like, yeah, sure. $1,800 will do it. So yeah, it didn't happen. So then I it was bought... a pink tax. What's that? It was a pink tax. Yeah, that's right. And so, so I, I went to CVS because I was like, well, I'm going to have to travel in the heat. Like I'm just going to have to suck it up and do it. CVS. So did you buy a bag of ice and set it on your lap? I bought, <laughs> I bought two coolers and I filled it and I did, I got big, I got a big cooler and tote bag and then one of the plastic ones with the handles so that I could have cold water with me the whole time. And, yeah. and I decided to leave at like three 30 in the morning so that I could get like a good six hours before the dead heat of the day would hit me. So that now I was this already, is, uh, this is when you leave Dallas to head to San Diego, your last trip. Now what's, how many hours is that? Well, I went from Dallas. I did 12 hours to Albuquerque. And then oh. I stayed in Albuquerque for two nights and then did um, 12 hours to San Diego. I was supposed to along the way. I would have stopped. I had planned to stop at another city between Dallas and Albuquerque and another city between Albuquerque and San Diego, but I decided if I'm going to be in the car with the broken air conditioning, I'm just going to go power through 12 hours at a time and get this right. done. And then in the end to get home, I also wanted one night alone in my apartment before my sister came to move in because yeah. I was down to the wire. So I left Dallas. I go to Albuquerque. I met up with one of my old students and hold on. Did you like go to a hotel room? <laughs> and get yourself changed or did you just show up in your oh no 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 yeah no 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 i stayed for two nights at like the best western in in like, albuquerque yeah so i okay. i was fully i was fully clothed and not sweating my butt off by the time we had dinner um your students like i do not remember her like this at all <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah so we had a nice time and then i made it back and um 
uh, and just decide to power through for the 12 hours to San Diego. And I do, you know, Yuma, Arizona, I remember seeing like the digital sign of the temperature and it was 117 on the freeway and I had stopped at a roadside place. Um, and I remember getting, um, one of those, um, frozen fruit ice pops, you know, and I remember it just melting on me. Like as I'm driving away, it's just falling apart. And I bear, it was barely out of the wrapper. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I can't wait to get back to San Diego. And so I roll up to San Diego, and at the time I was living on San Diego Bay, and there's this little bridge that you have to go over to get to my neighborhood. And I remember when I was gone, at this point I'm gone three months from my home, and which was my like the home, I, I just wanted to stay at this little beach apartment, and I loved living there, but I had felt really detached from San Diego, and I had almost felt more identity okay. with my New Yorker from, you know, I, I've been in San Diego now 19 years, or at the time, 18 years, and had not felt like a New Yorker in a long time, but being that I'd stayed with all my friends and my family and everything, I was feeling really detached from San Diego, and I thought, am I really like, did I just, am I doing the, the right thing even? Am I going to feel like this is still oh, my were- home? Your, your mindset just had to be all over the place. Oh, was, but to be honest with you, the minute I pulled up to the Ingram Street Bridge, I was like, oh, I'm home. Like, it's on the yeah. bay. It's just the most beautiful view. It's like what I always thought California was going to be like when I dreamed of living here. And at the time, that's where my home was. And I was just like, oh, I need to be back here. And so, um, so I got... One night in my home before Susie came and moved in, and thankfully, that apartment was a two-bedroom. What'd you do? Like, you, you get home, you've got one night left. Like, what was the one thing you're like, okay, I'm going to walk around the house naked for the next day? Because you can't do that anymore. Like, did you, like, cook in your underwear? Like, something, you know, like... Because, I, like, there's a sense, like, you were married before, but, like, you know, you're on your own, you're single, you've got your own place, you're basically going to become, like, a, a surrogate parent... You know, so was there was there anything you're like, were you rebelling? <laughs> like, I'm going to do this. No, no I didn't do no. anything. And I didn't even I don't even think I called my friends because, of course, I didn't want them cluttering up my last night alone because I'm a, okay. like for as much as. I love Are you people. an uh, introvert or an extrovert? No, I'm an extrovert, but I do like my space. And okay. I knew that like. After the next after the next 24 hours, I was not going to have my own space in my own home. And for as much as it was a choice to say, I'm going to I'll take care of Susie. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, there wasn't a lot of choice about it. And I don't I didn't have an alternative. And And it was a sudden decision. Well, certainly we had always talked about it. And this comes through in in all of the episodes that this comes up. You know, we had always talked about it, that someday my mother would Mm -hmm. pass on and Susie would just come and live with me in California and we would figure it out. But my mother was 73 and her brother is still alive at 89 years old right now. So like we didn't think it was going to happen that soon. And um, unfortunately it did. So we had to adapt. And that's more what I think this is about. You know, I know we told the story. I'm going to do some editing. And for the people listening, you know, there were a few things that went on that like I always hold on to the fact that like being adaptable is one of 
I think one of the most versatile strengths a person can have, and I'm grateful that it's it's in me. Especially the older you get, like people don't want to be adaptable. You, I mean, it's 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 a true statement. You get set in your ways. Yes, and we like what we like, and yeah, and quite frankly, had I still been in my marriage. I couldn't even, this would have been a disaster because my ex-husband was not very adaptable, certainly not flexible and didn't understand the complexity of my sister's life. And so it was always a little point that was never going to work. So, you know, I came to realize that the universe kind of puts you where you need to be. There was no reason for me to be in a two bedroom apartment, but I had always kind of like wanted said, well, when I, you know, get back on my own, I'm going to have enough space and have a two bedroom apartment. So I had that. Yeah. I had just moved and downsized my office, which I talk about in the first part. So I had cut my rent by two thirds of my office. Um, So I was in a financial place where I could leave Mm. and still maintain at least the minimum of my life financially. And, you know, and then I just kind of kept doing what I thought I should do. You know, what do I think the right thing or the good thing would be to do? Mm -hmm. And, um, and it kind of carries us, but but I also know that it comes with being adaptable, um, being resilient, you know, knowing when to let myself feel what I need to feel because along that trip, you know, of course there are moments where I'm sitting there crying as I'm driving down the highway going, what the F is happening to my life? You know, what am I doing? And what if I mess it up? Like, what if this is a big disaster? The responsibility of taking you know, care of your what sister. What am I going to do? How am I going to yeah. do this? What, you know, so. So with this whole experience, what, uh, I got a couple questions for you. And, and this might lead into, because I know you're going to talk to your sister. So I don't want to step into that, that episode's toes. But what have you learned about yourself? Like just with the experience of the road trip and coming home and knowing she's going to be there. Like what did you learn about yourself when you got home and you sat down? So I learned to not care so much about some things, you know, um, I went back, there are some audio clips that I recorded of myself when I was traveling, just kind of thoughts that I had. And there's one where like, I forgot to bring my toothbrush into somebody's house for a couple of days. And I thought, you know, I don't really care. Like nobody's getting that close to me. And like we, but I know (laughs) what was the thought? Like, do they think I'm gross because I didn't brush my teeth? You know, so the idea was really, you know, certainly it's not about not brushing your teeth. It's about um, not worrying so much about things being done as I think they need to be done. You know, you do what you can, you know, and that will be enough. Like doing what yeah, you okay. can is enough. I don't have to do more. Are you naturally, are you naturally hard on yourself? I'm a driven woman, you know, so I have a lot of ideas and things that I want to be doing. I certainly like to put my best foot out there. And I take pride in like how I've lived my life or how I've, you know, maybe been perceived about living my life. And I've let go of a lot of that. I just I kind of I kind of just don't care too much about how I think others might perceive me, which is cool because as a therapist, I help people with that all the time. I got to live it out and go, ah, I know what the feeling is. I also know what all that grief feels like. I also know what 
having to function when you are grieving feels like. I also know when to take breaks, you know, and I had to learn how to rely on friends in different ways because now all of a sudden, if I wanted to go and get away for a weekend, I had to go, well, which one of my friends do I know is going to say, sure, Colleen, like, I'll help you out. Like, do you need me to call Susie and stuff? And of course I call her when I'm gone, but like I have friends that like literally will have her over for right. dinner, you know, cause she's lovable, you know, and, and everybody loves her. Yeah. And, um, how was your relationship with her changed? Oh, tremendously. I mean, our relationship definitely has turned into one of, I mean, I love her dearly and we say that a lot and we do a lot of hugging. Um, and for as much as yes, everybody reflects back to me and says, Oh, you've become a parent. And sometimes I do joke and say, yeah, I have a 47 year old, you know, kid. Cause somebody who says, yeah. to me, oh, I met somebody yeah. recently. They said, Oh, do you have kids? And I was like, sort of, you know, I have somebody I take care yeah. of that's going to perpetually be cared for by me. And, um, but, yeah. but we don't talk about it like that because definitely our mother was our mother and her mother. And I'm not taking that place. Yeah. I'm definitely the person that, that she knows is in her corner and, um, yeah. and will, and, and are you surprised by anything? Are you surprised? Like, is there a friendship there that you didn't expect because of the way you've adapted and, and how she's changed so much? Like, is there a, a relationship all of a sudden that you were like, Oh wow. Oh yeah. I mean like she's fun to have around. Like I love her and I love having her around. She's actually quite funny. And I never knew yeah. about her sense of humor so much because we'd have, because of her disability, she doesn't do a lot of two way conversations. So my calls for the 18 years to New York are, how are you, Susie? I'm good. What are you doing? Watching TV. Tell me about what you did today. I went yeah. to the store, you know, it's very basic. And so now, mm -hmm. Like there's joking, there's laughing. Being in the same she house. She texts yeah. like any teenager texts, you know, I mean like that part, I didn't even know. Okay. I don't think I ever sent her a text because I didn't know my sister texted with people and she's texting. Right. So, um, and, uh, and she has not only made her own friends, but she's become part of my little ecosystem of friends. So we had, she loves drag queens. So we had her birthday at the drag queen place last year. And like 12 of my girlfriends showed up and all brought her like specific presents that she's going to talk about in the next episode that were all themed to something okay. that meant something to her. And it was the sweetest. I mean, I sat there and like, had to like go to the bathroom and like wipe the tears from my eyes. I was so just like overwhelmed yeah. with the love that like my friend showed and the acceptance and just how tremendous, tremendously she's moving through this. And quite frankly, like taking credit for like how I was moving through it because you come alive when you talk about her. Oh, well that's nice. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. I think everything turned out really good for you. Because oh, I, I, you. you and I will text, you and I will talk every yeah. once in a while, and I know you were, th there was some worry, like, there, I mean, you, you were trying to figure out the health with your mom, I know you were going back and forth to New York quite a bit, you had yeah. made the decision to get your sister, you weren't sure how that's going to work, here you are a year later, and you're like beaming with pride for her, so it's, yeah. it's wonderful. Well, thanks, yeah, and now, um, yeah, and I, yeah, I just am, am quite amazed at it, and I mean, like, you know, 
uh, she also is like transformed herself. She's because mm-hmm. of the life she's living now. She's lost like 85 pounds. Since yeah. I was going to bring that May. up. I remember you saying, yeah. Yeah. And she looks adorable. Oh, she's healthier. Like, yeah, yeah. She looked great. She, yeah. She had the personality when she just said hi and everything. Yeah. That's great. Oh yeah. She loves people. She loves things. But you know, when somebody's isolated for so long, mm-hmm. they don't know how they're going to be in the world. So I didn't know how she was going to be in the world. Right. She yeah. hadn't worked in over 15 years and now she goes to this day program and, you know, and has a social life through that and, yeah. um, just comes alive. So I'm, I'm, I'm always, I always tell her, you know, we have our moments where I'm just like, okay, we have to like, <laughs> sure. c- can we just yeah. watch TV in our own rooms tonight? Because like, <laughs> I'm over like talking to people. Right. Like doing the whole taking care of things. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any kids. Maybe this is fulfilling a need also for me. So, right. um, you know, it lets my mothering side out and which, which I'm enjoying too. I like that. Uh, was it a decade ago, a little over a decade ago, you moved to California and it like changed your life. And now you did that with your sister. You brought her out there and then it repeated for her as well. Right. Two decades ago, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, almost 20 years now. And uh, yeah, so the lesson here is people move to San Diego. It'll change yeah. your life. <laughs> oh, I would love to live there, man. Oh, I'm afraid if I came there to visit, I would like just, yep, not coming home. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I had never set foot here before I moved here. And, really? Uh, yeah. I didn't know anything about it, but that's a whole other story. But here yeah. I am 19 years later now, and it's the best thing ever. And it's apparently been the best thing for my sister, too. So that's great. We'd have known 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. And everything's worked out. Well, congratulations. Uh, well, thanks, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thanks for helping me tell this story. It was fun to do it. And I was looking forward to doing it with you. So thanks. Well, I remember, a, you know, a year and a half ago when you were talking about driving cross country, it was like, I was like, well, you need to podcast about this. Yes. Like, you know, <laughs> you need to record. You need to take it. And you're like, no, I don't know if I'm. So I was glad that you like. A year later, like, hey, let's do this. That's that's fun. Well, and to be honest with you, I didn't even know I'd still be podcasting. I didn't know what part of my life, if there was a part of my life, I was going to let go. And quite frankly, I haven't. She's actually spurred me on. Like, I see more clients than I ever have. My business is booming. I'm launching a podcasting business. I launched a new show and wrote a book, all of that, while we're getting adjusted to our new life. But when I was bringing Coaching Through Chaos back, I really did think, you know, there are people listening. I'm getting a couple of thousand downloads a month without doing episodes. And I thought, you know, hey, for you people that are sticking with me and listening through this while I'm not doing new episodes, I thought it was worth it. And, and oh, certainly it's it great to explain to you while, why I was gone and, you know, and, and how I even came back to do this. So, yeah. and so, you came back stronger. Like you just said, you wrote, you, you wrote a book, you're doing a business. You have two businesses now, podcast yeah. business and your, your, uh, therapy you know you've moved uh i see a handsome gentleman walking back and forth every once in a while that's right i also fell in love yeah (laughs) yeah good for you yeah so yeah no life (laughs) turned out pretty great right now so just enjoying it thanks jason for being with me on the coaching through chaos podcast i sometimes forget now what i'm doing so um (laughs) thank you but, but if you want to hear Jason, because Jason's been podcasting for a very long time, like 11 years now, and he hosts the Seven Days a Geek podcast, Podcasting 101, and Deconstructing Dad for the dads out there. 